0: Church family, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter number 7. It's a little bittersweet this morning as we come to the completion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like saying goodbye to a friend, a challenging friend, of course, but I've got to hung out with. It's an expository study that we've done of Matthew 5 to 7. not taking the whole book of Matthew, but this section to hear the words of our Lord. Pastors have done in the past where they've said, come next Sunday and you're going to hear the greatest sermon you've ever heard in your life. That sounds audacious, right? The pastors will say that and then the next Sunday folks would arrive and, and they would read Matthew 5 through 7. Close the Bible, give an invitation, and sit down. And some of you may have wished that I would have done that instead of drag this thing out for weeks and weeks. But here we are, Matthew chapter number 7. Last week was a very challenging text for us. It was for me. As we meditated on the fact that there are only two ways, or rather two paths to take, really one way to go. Two paths, only one way This Sunday, an equally challenging text, but the tone changes a little bit. And there's a bit of irony here that strikes me um, in a distinct way. The other day we got notice from Shelco that they were, by the way, Shelco are the builders behind us. So They're the ones with the hard hats actually out there doing the work. So Shelco let us know just the other day that they were going to begin driving piles into the foundation, in deep into the earth. Now, as you may learn, the longer we're, to- we're together, I have many areas of expertise. Sports, of course, all the sports <laughs> being one of them. And commercial construction, equally, that area of, you would easily classify as, as Norm would lovingly say, not anywhere close to my lane that I need to run in, right? But I, I looked up, I thought, I think I know what piles are, and I did some research and found out, yeah, they're these prefabbed, very uh, specifically uh, QC, I mean, just, they're very well quality controlled, Prefab things that they're driving deep, deep into the foundation to help make sure that a large structure is able to support the weight of itself. It's not just laying a concrete slab behind us, can you imagine? And then putting a 24-story building on top of it, right? If you're having trouble visualizing that, that's the Lowe's Technology Center just across the street. Same builders are coming here. They let us know. We're going to drive piles into the ground, and it's going to affect everything around it. We're going to hammer those things in. I don't know if John Henry's coming with a hammer. I didn't research all of the construction stuff. But they're going to... Hammer those things into the ground. There's going to be a shaking. They've already sent engineers to our property that have measured the exact way that the church is sitting to see if what they're doing disturbs the church in any way. They'll actually come in the building and do some more measuring just to make sure that they protect us. I appreciate that. Don't you? Yeah. I don't know if you know this. It's not a new building. I don't know if that's done on you. But anyway, we want to do what we can to protect the building. They're going to do that. They're coming to reinforce and to make sure that this foundation will support this work that's on top of it. And it's going to shake and affect everything else around it. Jesus, very clearly this morning, is addressing the foundations of our lives. But it's something far more critical than a 24-story office building or commercial building. And it's something far more catastrophic, if you can imagine, than an office building collapsing. If the foundation is not on the right thing. Jesus is bringing his sermon on the mount to a close. Jesus, the same Jesus that said, Blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit. For they shall inherit the earth. The same loving Jesus that ministered to the unlovable and reached the unreachable. The same Jesus that engaged those in the margins of society is the same Jesus. If you've got a Bible with the words of Christ in red, that has laid the groundwork. That says there's one way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to destruction. He didn't mince words. The greatest theologian on, brace yourselves, Sunday morning, spring, he's wearing a bright tie, but he's going to say something heavy. The greatest theologian on hell was Jesus. We covered that last week. He's finishing the thought this week on the weight of the decisions that we make and the foundations that we lay. We're already on the broad way the Bible teaches us, the easy way, the way of the many that leads to destruction. Jesus is calling us to step off of the highway to hell, if you will, and onto the narrow way of holiness, the hard way. But the way that Jesus is saying, I'll give you everything you need to succeed on this pathway. But it's the only way that leads to life. That was last week. Now he calls us to action. It's one thing to hear a sermon, probably not mine, but it's one thing to hear a sermon and leave the place and go, wow, that was some teaching right there. Brian Sanders, my good friend, whom I love deeply, said to me the Sunday that Pastor Darren preached, Liz, I didn't share this with you. He said, wow, that was the only real sermon I've ever heard at Grace Covenant, I said, me too, Darren, I'll come back there. I said, thank you for that. You honor me by honoring him. That's what I meant to say in my mind. I probably went, uh, but anyway, (laughs) it was a good sermon, Darren. Great job. After preaching a sermon, though, I got to be honest with you. We pastors, we preachers and teachers would like a response that shows people astonished by the content And a little awestruck by the authority of the messenger. It's not a bad way to respond to a sermon. But Jesus is calling for something greater. We're going to look at this text this morning in two sections, if you will. Jesus finishes up his teaching, talking about the foundation. And then Matthew's notes there on how the crowd responds. Let's look at the text, verse 24 through 27. Let's take it one piece at a time. Jesus is speaking here and he says... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. First point, two main points this morning. First point. Now it's in your head, or I didn't want to go easy where it says just build your house upon the rock. But I would say be a wise builder. Everybody's building a house, be a wise builder. When they contracted Shellco to build this building behind that they're putting up for us, they didn't say, hey, have you ever built a building before? You ever done anything like uh, nailed some wood together? And You ever built a shed in somebody's backyard? Yeah, I've done that. Great. Could you build a 24-story? No. <laughs> there are rigorous qualifications they have to go through. Specialists, there's all types of codes they have to comply with. You pick the right builder for the job. Jesus is calling and equipping us, by the way, to be wise builders. If we look at the passage, and I hope you've got your Bibles open. If you didn't bring one with you this morning, there's one in the pew right in front of you. Pick it up, pull it out, turn it to Matthew 7, and follow along. But as you look at that passage, I want you to notice some of the activities that are mentioned here. There's wise and foolish, of course, mentioned there. The wise people, it's very clear, are the people who hear and do. Do you see that? That's not a stretch. It's right there. And the foolish people are the people who hear and don't. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. But they hear and don't. Both are builders in his illustration. Both are constructing similar houses. They appear similar from the outside. Both experience the same type of storm. Do you see it? The rain, which causes floods, and there's great winds. But there are different outcomes. The wise builder's house did not fall because its foundation was the rock. The foolish builder's house fell because his foundation It's a great illustration. Jesus was so good at this, at taking a doctrine or a complex theological truth or or repositioning everybody's thinking, obviously, since he's the Messiah, the word with flesh on. And he would wrap it into a story or a parable of some kind and, and teach the truth through that means. And he does a beautiful job here. He's given us some incredible contrasts as he builds to this, the narrow gate of life and the wide gate of Destruction, the good tree that produces fruit, the bad tree that it's fruitless, the true confession marked by obedience, the false confession marked by disobedience. Today, the solid rock of wisdom and the foolish shifting sands, the teachings of Christ versus the teachings of men. It's all right here in our text. This message that Jesus is preaching is to everyone here this morning. And it was to everyone there on the mountainside because he says everyone who hears does two things with it. They either do it or they don't. You either obey or you don't obey. I don't want to get into parenting styles here, but we've all been on the bus. I'm thinking of one trip in particular. My wife and I were on a church trip many, many years ago and this kid had run up and down the aisle on the bus not a miller kid this was pre-miller kids the kid had run up and not that ours wouldn't have but the kid ran up and down on the bus while we're like going in the mountains hairpin turns like in the mountains on this big commercial bus taking turns that I, I was saved i think no less than eight times on the trip it was remarkable i made sure of my salvation and and this kid keeps running up and down and his mom from the back I won't say his name. If you do that one more time, I'm going to, I'm going to tear, I'm going to, it's going to, I'm going to. The pastor up front finally got amused enough and said, Matt, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to. It's going to if you do it one more time. We'll all explode. We've met, we've seen that before. Where, where we tolerate, parents will tolerate disobedience as long as it's not inconvenient to them terribly. Jesus is not calling for that or allowing that. He's saying you either obey or you don't obey. You either follow my teaching or you don't follow my teaching. There's no middle ground. This message, he's saying everyone who hears, and then I'd like to bring your attention to one little phrase that unfortunately causes some confusion in the day in which we live. He says there in Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone then who hears, do you see it? These words of mine. This has sparked a movement that's an offshoot of evangelicalism called the Red Letter Christians. And basically what they say is that only the words of Christ matter in Scripture. You don't have to worry about any of the rest of it. His words undo all of the rest of it, and they're the only ones that matter. Because, hey, if you follow the rest of it, some of that stuff calls for you to be selfless and, and, and uh, give lots of, it's just kind of weird living if you follow that stuff. Just follow the words of Jesus in red. Well, Jesus kind of addressed that in this same sermon, if you'll recall, when he said, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. <laughs> He's the word of God with flesh on. Years ago, I made the decision for my Bibles that I read from and study from, Do not have the words of Christ in red. Now, there's nothing wrong with having the words of Christ in red in your Bible. Why did I do that? Because all Scripture is God-breathed. And all of it is profitable. And all of it is good for instruction and for reproof and for building the man and woman of God up into righteousness and calling us to obedience. Jesus quoted Scripture when He talked. And He pointed to Scripture as the Word of God with flesh on Here's what he's distinguishing from. Remember, church family, you've heard me say it. You've heard Darren say it until he was out of breath for 29 years in the pulpit. Context. 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 What's the Bible saying around it? He's distinguishing his teaching from the Pharisee. That were hypocritical. From the scribes who only quoted from dead people. And from the Gentile teachers who were philosophical and pushed people toward materialism. He's saying these words of mine, the Messiah, the word of God. He never spoke in contradiction to the revealed word of God. All scripture is profitable. There's absolutely no difference in reliability, authority, or sufficiency of the words in red or the words in black. It's the Word of God. It's forever settled, it's without any mixture of error. And if you're struggling to understand that, I've got some resources that can help settle it for you. I'd love to have a conversation with you. You're like, I I can take most of this, but some of this I struggle with. Let's have a conversation. Don't try to figure that out on yourself. Let's look at what 2,000 years of contending for the faith. Because I bet that question's been answered by some of our spiritual fathers in the past. It's amazing how sufficient the Word of God is. We're all building a house, so to speak. Every one of us. We're all crafting a life, a legacy. Our lives are telling a story. And they tell the story to those around us of who's in charge. Each decision, each conversation, each interaction with others is another brick in our building. The house that we're building shows what we value. The house that we're building shows um, who or what we are listening to as well. And I'm so thankful for a dear man of God early on in my life who pointed me to this reality as well. We're also helping others build their houses. He he said this to me early on in my Christian walk. Always be somebody who puts a brick in somebody else's building, not takes away. Isn't that good advice? Wonderful man of God. Bobby Boss in heaven now. So thankful for that. Jesus is calling us to be a wise builder. Both are builders. Only one does, and he's the wise builder. His wisdom, though, is not of this world. It can't be. His wisdom comes from somebody else. The Bible says that the fear in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In Colossians 2, Paul is praying for the church at Colossus. He's praying for these church members and the elders and the deacons there. And he's praying that their hearts would be encouraged. They'd be knit together in love. They'd reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The wisdom, the wise builder, is tethered to the rock and to the rock-solid foundation of the Word of God. The wisdom of all the wise, is we used to say it this way, is wrapped up, tied up, and tangled all up in the Lord Jesus Christ. We discover who He is, and what He thinks, and how He moves as we get into the Word, and the Word gets into us. From Genesis to Revelation, we find wisdom from God. James 3 goes a long way to help us unpack the wisdom of the wise builder versus the foolishness of the foolish builder. I want to just highlight the wisdom this morning. For time's sake, I want you to go back and read James 3 and see how these two sources of wisdom cause such a dichotomy of life outside. Let's look at the good side, though, this morning. In James 3.13, the Bible says, Whoever's wise and understanding among you by his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Mark, before you go to the next verse, look what I see there. Let's let's mark that wisdom. We see good conduct. We see meekness there, don't we? Let's see what else James had to say about it. Because the wisdom that's from above is first pure. I see purity. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's merciful. It's Fruitful, I would say, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial. It's sincere. Verse 18 says that it produces a harvest of righteousness. That was our opening verse this morning, our call to reflection this morning. This is the aroma of a house whose foundation is the rock. You ever walk in somebody's house and you go, ooh, what's that smell? On the contrast, if you walked in somebody's house and going, Oh, what's that smell? Right? Depends on when you come to any home. It could be one way or the other, right? But this is the aroma of the house whose foundation is the rock. I want this kind of aroma in my own home. I want this kind of aroma in our church family as well. This kind of living only comes as we surrender fully to the Lord. As we let God's word do a deep work in us, transforming us into his likeness, and as we walk in the spirit, not after the flesh, we seek the mind of Christ. Now, I mentioned a couple things under the wise builder. I don't know if you picked up on it. We talked about the fact that there is a wise builder, we talked about where his wisdom comes from. And now I want to point you to a, a final element of this last section of the Sermon on the Mount before Matthew gives us those two reflections on the crowd. The coming storm. The coming storm. For years, we've talked about how important context is. It's no less important here. When we read a passage like this, and we see the rain falling and the floods coming in and the winds blowing against it, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, we read a passage like that out of context. We read a passage, a verse like that, and we think, hey, it's important We think that this might just be describing the storms of life. Now, it can not apply to that. You and I have both seen folks go through some deep and dark waters. I'm looking out across some family here today that I know of personally, that are walking right now, or recently walked, through some deep and severe storms of life. Some of you, We need an answer. Some of you, it's been a long storm. And certainly, that has a way of bringing what we're made of to the top, doesn't it? Have you seen that? When folks get pressured and pressed, you can tell sometimes when they're tapped in to the source, when the fruit of the Spirit is what comes out when they're squeezed by the pressures of life. It's important, and it does matter. But there's something greater at stake here especially when we look at the context. And when we do what we preachers do, we look at the language of the words used. Let me just remind you, though, for those of you in the middle of that storm, your foundation matters. Jesus said, he said these things to us in John 16 that we might have peace because in the world we were going to have tribulation. But we could be of good cheer if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he has overcome the world. A right foundation will help you weather life storms in a tremendous way. That's absolutely certain. But, 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 if we look back at the text, we see that Jesus here is actually referring to a cataclysmic reality, a final and utterly devastating storm, as one author writes, a future judgment. When we look at the word that Jesus chose to use here for the word wise, an interesting word. It's "phronimos. It's used seven other times in the book of Matthew. And almost every time it's used, of all the meanings it could be used, here's the meaning. You ready? It's one getting his house in order for the coming judgment. So this goes a little deeper than the storms of life that we were, this is difficult to hear, promised. This goes a little deeper than, again, difficult to hear, the suffering that God promised we would endure while we were still here. This is not heaven. This has to do with how we will stand before God. Wow. Jesus is not giving an inspirational motivation to hang on on a bad day here. He's showing us how to stand right on the only foundation that matters. The storm of God's judgment is coming for us all. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. Both the foolish builder and the wise builder have similar houses That look nice from the outside. It could be said that they both read the Bible. They both go to church. They both listen to sermons. They both buy Christian literature. They both listen to Christian radio. They both have an influence, so to speak. But the reason you cannot tell the difference oftentimes between them is because you can't see the foundation. When this building is finished behind us, you can't see how deeply those piles go. You can't see how deep the foundation is that holds this thing in place. Guys, I had been here two and a half times before I realized there was a fellowship hall under this building. And that's not even hidden that well, right? You can't see what's going on underneath, but God knows. Sometimes the storms of life will bring that to the surface, but sometimes it doesn't. But judgment will. Standing before the holy God will. There are two houses, two builders, two groups of people here today. All of us are hearing the word of God. Some will obey and some won't. Those who hear and don't obey will crash hard one day. They'll crash loud and hard. Spurgeon writes, Yet though he was industrious, he was foolish. The crash was terrible, and the sound was heard from afar. And it was final, and it was irreversible. Be a wise builder. Obey God. Obey His Word. Obey the command of Christ who said, Enter at the narrow gate. Distinguishing the wise between the foolish. The Bible says uh, in James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You can leave with a house intact, but a foundation made of sand. Yikes. It's not going to end well. And it doesn't have to be that way. God loves you so much, you don't have to leave that way. John 15, 14, Jesus said, you are my friend. you like that language? Don't you love that language? That the Savior of the world, the lover of our souls, would say we could be his friends. Come on. And how can we be his friends if we do what he commands? Those are the final words, final piece of the conclusion that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And then the Holy Spirit Still filling Matthew, still giving Matthew the words, has Matthew write down a little bit of the scene for us to see how this unfolded. And we come to verses 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Wow. If I could give you a final note this morning over the header, it would be this Take Jesus at his word. Take Jesus at his word. Notice that they responded to the content of what he said. They were astonished at what he said. Wow, they were astonished at these sayings, at his teaching. And then it brings a distinction to the teacher. He was teaching with authority. They were astonished at the content, and they were also astonished at the teacher. He taught with authority. They listened intently. They analyzed what he said, and it for lack of a better word, blew their minds. They were amazed by it. How could anyone teach this long and say all these things on his own authority or wisdom or insight into the holy scriptures? Our scribes only quote other authorities. This man speaks as though he is breathing the word of God. And he's the word with flesh on is isn't he? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is literally a walking Bible. I don't know how else to say it. It's the revelation of God coming forth. He spoke well. John would later say, officers answering the criticism of Jesus, they said, we've never heard anybody speak like this one. Jesus shared some very hard sayings with his disciples around him in John chapter number six. Really hard sayings. And, and he, he drew a line in the sand at one point, And the Bible records in John six around verse 60 to 70. It says, and many of his disciples left him that way, day and walked with him no more. They're like, you had us up to here, we were on board to here, we were good to here, but this is too much. We're out. I'm sorry, we're out. We're gone. Can't do this. Not going to happen. And Jesus turns to the twelve, to, the, to his inner circle, to his community group, if you will, to his small group, so to speak, and says, will you leave me too? At what point will I say something hard and you guys bail? And Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, I believe, says This, Lord, to whom shall we go? In John 6, 68, you have the words, only you, of eternal life. Hallelujah. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So they just didn't hear the words. It said they believed. They obeyed. They weren't just hearers. They were doers. Now, I hope that you're astonished and in awe as you read God's word. I hope that you're astonished as you hear the word of God read at Grace Covenant Church when we gather together. I hope you're astonished by the content and the authority by which it is read. I hope that you come to know by your reading that all authority, Jesus said in Matthew 28, was given to him on heaven and on earth. And he speaks with that authority and the word of God has that authority in our life. I hope that you love the Word of God. Watch this. Because you are intimate with the author. Hallelujah. I really do. But can I bring your attention to something that was a glaring reality to me as I read the text and have studied this text for you. It's like when somebody flips their beams on bright accidentally on a dark night. When you come down the road, they're facing you. And you're like, oh, what? Ah and then they realize what they've done, they quickly correct, but you've still got a, those two little dots moving around your eyes on, right? If you look back at the text, and when Jesus finished these sayings, verse 28, the crowds repented and believed. No? The crowds were convicted and converted. No? No? No, they they reflected with wonder. Notice the irony. Jesus had called them to obedience and not to be hearers only, and they left going, wow, didn't we just hear something awesome? A word of caution to us pastors today, because we live in a church culture that is satisfied, for the attendee of the Sunday morning service to leave wowed and astonished, but unconverted. We can fill stadiums as long as we can wow the crowd and if we get the cutting edge speakers of the day who know how to manipulate attention span and engage with multisensory and experiential conversations instead of monologues their dialogues and all the things and instead of preaching the whole counsel of god they're satisfied to dip a toe into something and hit their little topic and go for it. If we can do that, we can fill a building. We can settle for an adrenaline rush. That's what we want instead of conviction. We want immediate application instead of thoughtful reflection. We want a preacher who wows us instead of the word of God that convicts us. We have equipment and production and talent in the modern-day church that rival any secular gathering, and we are satisfied we even build empires and brands as long as we can wow the crowd. But that doesn't make disciples. What we need today are men and women of God, boys and girls, who will stand up and say, yes, comma. Lord. I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus is astonishing. Jesus has all authority. He is all that He said He was and is. Nobody was like Jesus. Nobody is like Jesus. The Gospels had it right. The prophets nailed it. He is the poet's muse in the Psalms. No man ever spoke like this man. The Word had become flesh. No man ever taught like the, with the authority that Jesus spoke with, he was the son of God, he was the son of man. Indeed, no man ever lived like Jesus lived. He was spotless, sinless, without any guile in his life. No man ever loved like Jesus loved. He loved the unlovable, he loved the unreachable, and he did it without reserve, and he touched the untouchable. He loved with a divine kind of love. No man ever died like this man died, having endured a sham trial, completely innocent of all that he had been accused of. The charges were trumped up against him. He was guilty only of love in the first degree and yet he was slain between two thieves on a cross outside the city and yet the Bible tells us that no man took his life freely he gave it nobody ever lived nobody ever loved nobody ever died but thank God on the third day nobody ever rose From the grave, like Jesus rose from the grave. Three days after that awful, dreadful moment when the veil was torn in two, when the earth went dark, when the Father had poured out the wrath that you and I deserved on the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. Three days later, God said it was enough. And up from the grave He arose with a mighty triumph o'er His foes. He arose the victor of the dark domain. Now He reigns Forever with the saints. And here's what we proclaim now on earth. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. I know your grace covenant, but that's a good spot for an amen right there. Those who are wise hear this Jesus and obey him. And those who are foolish hear him and say, wow, isn't that something? Those who are wise will stand on the solid rock at judgment, and those who are foolish will collapse on sinking sand. When Jesus calls us to examine our lives and our foundations, it requires a response. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back now as we close in prayer. Give you a moment to respond this morning. Here's the response Will you obey or will you hear? And disobey. Will you obey the command of God as he presented this gospel? And Mark, I mentioned it last week, and here was his call to action. Repent and believe. That's evidence that God's working in your life. Let me tell you something. They're going to drive those piles deep into the ground, and there's going to be a shaking. There's going to be a shaking. Every rat within two blocks is going to shake out of its burrow. We've seen it happen before, right, Christy? There's no way, there's no way, there is no way that you can have your life transformed by the power of God and then not shake things up in your life and affect those around you. Are you on the shifting sand of culture that changes its mind every 10 minutes about what its mind even is? Are you on the shifting sand of the false prophets who say, you know what, everybody's going to heaven. It's all good. You don't have to do this stuff. Jesus didn't make it that hard. You have to ignore Scripture to do that kind of violence to it. Yet on the other hand, it it really isn't hard. It's not your work that does any of this. The work's done. He's inviting, actually commanding you to enter at the narrow gate. There's your questions Talk to God this morning. If you need to pray with somebody, come pray with me, I'll pray with you. One of our elders, deacons will pray. If you want to pray with somebody, don't leave without settling today that your foundation is the rock, Christ Jesus. Father, it's our desire to glorify you when we stand on that day before you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that entices us and calls us to enter into the only way, the only truth, and the only life worth living. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can settle these matters here that impact all eternity. We love you, and we commit our lives afresh to continue to build on the rock based on your authority and Christ alone. Let the church say amen. Let's stand together this morning and lift our voices.